Welcome to the Comic Web's Old Time Radio Podcast. Each week we feature an episode from the golden years of radio. The Comic Web sells old time radio programs, comic books, and more. Check us out at comicweb.com. We're doing something a little different this week. According to our feedback and survey results, listeners to our podcast prefer the story type of radio programs over the comedy musical variety shows. We were planning on podcasting the Bing Crosby Show, which is a musical variety show, and we just put it up for sale on the Comic Web. So what we will do is present a Johnny Dollar episode to be followed by a Bing Crosby show. I mean, come on, Bing was more popular than the Pope, give him his due. And as always, whether you want it or not, you'll get some of my brief commentary after Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? Uh, Johnny, this is Len Walker at Surety Mutual Insurance. Out there in the wild and golden west? Yep. Still holding down a desk out here in San Francisco. How are you, Len? What goes these days? Goes off. It's more like it, Johnny. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? Three neat, tidy little explosions that have cost us well over a million dollars apiece. Wow. What kind of explosions, Len? Rocket fuel type of stuff. Oh? Yeah. Where? The Bascom Development Company. It's hidden away along the coast a few miles south. Bascom, hmm? So if you want to grab your space suit and pop on out here, well, <laughs> who knows? Maybe they'll oblige by sending you aloft on their next blow-up. You make it sound very attractive, Len. <laughs> I'll tell you this, Johnny. If you can find out the why of this and put a stop to it, we'll pay you enough to let you fly high and wide and handsome for a long time to come. Now you do make it sound attractive. Well, then. Okay. I'll start practicing on the first plane I can get. The CBS Radio Network brings you Mandel Kramer in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Surety Mutual Insurance Company, San Francisco office. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the top secret matter. Expense account item one, 199.27. That covers a taxi out to Bradley Field, the hop to New York, and from there a one-stop flight on out to the West Coast. At New York International, I thought I was the last one aboard before takeoff. But just as the big jet started taxiing out to the runway, a well-dressed gentleman with a well-stuffed briefcase pointed into the seat beside me. Well, looks as though I just made it. By the skin of your teeth, and you better fasten your seatbelt. Be- hey, George! What? Why, it's Johnny! Johnny Dollar! In person? Well, this is an unexpected pleasure. Well, how's the prosperous businessman? Just fine, and you? Couldn't be better. You on your way out to the coast, too? No, just going as far as Chicago to our main plant and office. Oh, it's been a long time, Johnny. It sure has. Tell me, are you still a vice president of that big chemical outfit? I certainly am. Oh, that's good. You're just the man I want to talk to. I want to ask some questions. Oh, what? Hasn't your company got a hand like uh, all the others in the liquid rocket fuel racket? Certainly has. Or I should say had. Hmm? Well, right now we're in the process of trying to turn down a contract. <laughs> no kidding. Well, how come? Well? Well, I, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Oh, top secret? No, not quite. Not exactly uh, top secret. As a matter of fact, it'll hit all the papers in just a few days now. So if you want to find out what it's all about... 
Now, Wade. Yeah? Didn't you used to have a top security clearance? I still have, from OSI, CIA, CIC. You want to see my credentials? Why not? Okay, anything to get you off this big mysterioso kick? Here, here, and here. Okay? Okay. Now, what's the big secret that's about to hit the headlines? A new solid rocket fuel. Well, I thought a lot of companies were working on that. Had even developed some of it. They are, and they have. But, Johnny, we now have a radically different one that was developed in our place through sheer luck. How do you mean? Well, there's a young East German fellow, a scientist. I don't even remember his name. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, he has enough degrees in chemistry from European universities to choke a horse. Yeah. Came to us for just a run-of-the-mill job in one of our labs. But a few months ago, entirely on his own, he came up with this solid fuel formula... Handed it over to the company Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Mm. Big boys checked it. Now, thanks to him, well, Johnny, it looks like we're going to be light years ahead of the hammer and sickle competition. That's good. Well, that's about all I can tell you about it. Whatever you say. Now, why'd you tell me I'm just the man you wanted to see? Because maybe you can tell me something about a company out on the coast that is also in this field. Oh, Johnny, out there there must be hundreds of them ranging from the big important ones like Air Search and Rocket Dine to little one- and two-man operations. Now, which is it? The Bascom Development Company is somewhere near San Francisco. Bascom, huh? Yeah. What do you know about it? Well? Nothing. You sure? No, Johnny. I'm afraid I never even heard of them. Oh, you're a lot of help. I'm sorry. All right. What do we talk about now? Politics? Religion? Women? Sex? Or something sensible like fishing? Jets traveled, there wasn't time to talk about much of anything before George got off the plane in Chicago. By the time I had an afternoon snack and prepared to settle down for a nap, we circled and landed at San Francisco International. Item 2470 for a cab into Len Walker's office. That's across from the Sheraton Palace and my pals at KCBS. Now, where do you plan to stay while you're here, Johnny? At the Huntington up on the hill. Fine. So grab yourself some dinner, get a good night's sleep, and you can take off first thing in the morning. Take off again? Mm Mm-hmm. I'll have a rental car sent around to you there at the Huntington. Len, aren't you going to tell me first what this is all about? Bascom Development Company. Yes, you said that on the phone. Well, now, look here on this map. Yeah. Now, you go down here on 101, then cut over to Route 1, then down the coast to here, a few miles south of Big Sur. Wait a minute. If memory serves me right, that highway is chiseled out of the side of a lot of cliffs that rise up out of the blue Pacific. Right. So what can be there but a lot of rocks and trees and the ocean? A little well-hidden side road that goes down through the trees to a leveled-off spot on the very edge of the ocean. Hmm. That's where you'll find the Bascom Development Company. Only for security reasons, it's been made to look like a cluster of summer homes. You say they've been having explosions? Three, Johnny. And as a result of them, three deaths. That's where we've had to pay off through the nose. Why? Well, the men, they were chemists or engineers he had working for him, all had insurance that Bascom paid for. A cool million apiece. And he was the beneficiary? Half to him, half to the families of those men. Oh. It's common practice where people of great importance to a company are concerned. Yeah, Tell me, uh, 
just how much do you know about the explosions? I think you'd better by getting that from Baskin himself. I told him you're on your way. Oh? Yes. Okay, Lynn. Whatever you say. Item three, 1280 for cocktails and dinner at the Fleur de Lis. After all, I was on expense account. Why not live it up? After a good night's sleep at the Huntington, I took off. After passing through San Jose and Salinas, I cut over through Monterey and Carmel and hit California's wonderful one. Highway number one. It took me through beautiful wooded hills and forests and then along the edge of the sea. It's a narrow, tortuous road with nothing but high cliffs on the left and a sheer drop-off on the right, sometimes for several hundred feet to the ocean below. And it is a beautiful, beautiful drive. At Point Sur, that's S-U-R, means south. The cliffs are almost perpendicular, so the highway goes a bit inland for a stretch. And then I found the sharply slanting little side road that Leonard indicated on the map. I had to make my way down it in low, low gear. And there at the ocean's edge was the group of... Well, Len was right. They did look like harmless summer cottages. But there was an armed guard at the entrance gate. I showed him my clearances. He made a phone call, then directed me to the second building down the road. However, as I started to pass the first one, a small, white, clabbered sort of building, it looked like, I heard a sharp, strange, crackling sound, like timbers breaking. I looked up... The side building seemed to bulge out momentarily, and then... really took hold, I was almost past it. Nonetheless, my rental car rolled completely over with me inside. Shook me up a little, but otherwise I was okay. From a building down the line, several intelligent but very angry-looking men came running over, hauled me out as roughly as possible, then shoved me unceremoniously into the next-door private office of Mr. Horace Alderworthy Bascom. Bascom, a slight, gray-haired man of about 60, sat quietly behind his desk, holding a gun on me in a way that indicated he could and wouldn't hesitate to use it if it became necessary until I produced my credentials and told him why I was there. Then he dismissed the others, shoved the gun back into the drawer of his desk, and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. The office is a bit on edge these days, and no doubt Doctors Harvey and Welcome and Young Franklin thought that you had caused the explosion there in Unit 1. Doctors, Mr. Baskin? Of science, chemistry. Best I've been able to find. Oh, I'll tell you this about them. They not only have brains, but muscles. They're all experts in the field of explosives. Are they? The best. I wonder after what just happened. You were very fortunate, Mr. Dollar. Had that explosion occurred just a fraction of a second earlier... I wouldn't be sitting here, would I? Your body and the remains of your car were toppled over the edge of that narrow spot beside Unit 1 and ended up on the rocks some 200 feet below. No question of it. I don't doubt it. But now, aren't you concerned about what's happened to that Unit 1? From this window, it looks like a shambles. Yes, like a few others that have gone before us. Do you want to take a look and see if you can figure why it blew up? I know I do. I'm afraid it would take far more scientifically knowledgeable minds than ours to determine the cause of this latest misfortune. 
And as you can see, Dr. Welcome and some of his aides are looking it over very carefully. Well, I still want to look. Of course. And I sincerely hope you can accomplish something. Thank heaven this time there was no one hurt. We've lost three, Mr. Dollar. Three of our finest chemists during the past three months. So I understand. And each of them, I'm convinced, just when he was on the threshold of a solution to this tremendously important project of ours. Just what is this project, Mr. Baskin? Creation of an uncommonly efficient semi-liquid rocket repellent that will, I am convinced... Semi-liquid? Yes. Yes, an almost unbelievably powerful gelatinous substance with all the energy of the complicated liquid fuels and the stability of a solid. Mm. If I can develop it, Mr. Dollar, it will be the greatest triumph in the history of space rocketry. And I will have made it. I alone will hold the secret of it. And yet you're not a scientist. Well, in the purely academic sense, no. But without my aims and my ideas, without my money to provide the means for their experimentation, these men I employ could accomplish nothing. And that means that... What's the matter, Mr. Dollar? You are all right, aren't you? Oh, yes, sure. But as long as this last explosion just happened, I'd like to get out there and see if we, or maybe your Dr. Welkin, can pin down the cause of it. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Believe me, if anyone can determine it, Welcome, Ken. But Welcome couldn't. Nor could I. In spite of Mr. Bascom's help in combing through the ruins, and we recombed. A lot of theories got aired, but none that led to any definite conclusions. Then, early that evening in his quarters, I talked at some length with Dr. Welcome about not only this, but the three previous explosions. No, no, I don't think so, Mr. Dollar. It's, it's simply that some of the materials, the components used, are so unstable, so highly volatile and shock-susceptible that... And yet every possible precaution is taken, not only in the handle, but in the storage of them. Mm -hmm. So unless someone were setting them off deliberately, as you suggest might be possible... An awful lot of people don't want to see our national rocketry program succeed. Don't you forget that, Doctor. Yes, but, but someone here in this closely knit organization... No, I, I can't believe it. Another thing, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? Williams, Thornbury, and Brenner. Are those the three who were killed? Yes. Now, certainly you don't suggest they deliberately caused the explosions that caused their own deaths. That's hardly likely, I guess. Not a bit likely. And, Mr. Dollar, each of them was entirely alone in the laboratory when the accident occurred. You sure of that, Dr. Wilkin? Oh, absolutely. Tell me, was there anybody in Unit 1 this afternoon when it went off? Or anywhere near it? No, you were the only one near it. And you sure of that? Absolutely certain. Mm -hmm. Tell me something else, Doctor. If I can, yes. How close are you fellows to this, this rocket fuel? Well, Mr. Dollar, I believe that Williams and Thornbury and Brenner were very close to it, each in his turn. Mm -hmm. Mr. Bascom and a couple of the other chaps and I felt they had found it. But now, of course, we'll never know. So, all the rest of us can do is keep on trying. You don't sound very confident. Well, sometimes it's very discouraging. And with the cutbacks in salary we've been obliged to take. But it's a challenge, and challenges are what make a profession like ours worthwhile. They and the opportunity to serve this country. Who sparked this whole idea in the beginning? Oh, I understand it was a young German chap that Mr. Bascom found somewhere abroad. What? Yes. What was his name? Um, Kellerholz. Hans Kellerholz. Kellerholz. I see. All right, Dr. Welcome. Gentlemen. Oh, Mr. Bascom. Well, have you found anything? 
Anything to indicate what might No, be? it uh, it doesn't look as though we have, Mr. Bascom. Not a thing. Oh, What's more, you. I've suddenly remembered that I'm supposed to be back in San Francisco tonight, so uh, I'll have to run. If, uh, that is, my car is still usable. I understand it isn't. But if you'll wait a moment, I'll bring mine around. Oh, I appreciate that. But your investigation here... Oh, don't uh, you worry. I'll be back. Well, I certainly hope so. San Francisco? No. I drove Mr. Baskin's car out to the highway and headed south to the first filling station I could find. And there, after parking out on the far edge of the highway, I ran up item four, $21 even in telephone calls. And what I learned from them figuratively blew this whole case wide open. My first phone call was to George Langley, the man I'd met and talked to on the plane at his home in Chicago. Thanks to his information, the second call was to the young German chemist who developed the solid rocket fuel that they were about to announce. You guessed it. His name was Hans Kellerhaus. What Kellerhaus said to me about his reasons for having left the Bascom Project to work at one of America's big, established, reputable chemical firms told me more than I'd even hoped for. And then... To top it all. Well, let's face it, it was mighty lucky for me that I hadn't taken the drive up to San Francisco. Because when I stepped out of the phone booth there at the little gas station... You know, I sure hope you don't need any more of my small change, mister. Oh, that was the last call I had to make, and thanks for the use of the phone. Well, it don't belong to me, it belongs to the phone company. Oh, thanks anyway. <laughs> uh, say now, uh, maybe you want to drive your car over to this side of the road and fill her up, maybe? Might not be a bad idea. <laughs> Though why you parked along that edge over there, so close to that drop-off, I'll never know. Hey, look! Look, you see? I see, all right. One of the tires must have went, you see? Well, she's rolling out over down the cliff. One of the tires? Oh, no. What'd you say? You hear that little explosion? See the way that car sagged over? Well, yeah, I guess I did. Must have had a time mechanism. Huh? If that happened the way it was supposed to while I was tearing up the secret highway on the way to San Francisco, nobody would ever have known. Uh, listen. Yeah? Uh, is that your car over there, beside the station? Well, sure. Look, here, uh, here, here's a hundred bucks for the use of it just for tonight, okay? Are you kidding? Sure it's okay. Okay, then, give me the keys. Luckily, the same guard was on duty, and he let me through the gate to Bascom's setup without question. And more important, without announcing me. In the darkness, then, I slipped the lock on the door of Bascom's office, went inside, pulled down the shades, put on a light, and looked around. And I finally found it. A small switch under the sill of the window facing out to where Unit 1 had been. And if those wires on it had led underground to some kind of a detonator there in Unit 1 this afternoon... Mr. Dollar. Better come in, Mr. Bascom. Yes, I certainly will. Just sit down. There at your desk, anywhere. Of course, if you like. Did you break your way in here? You, uh, want to tell me why, Mr. Baskin? Why? Why what? Afraid I don't understand. I want to know your reasons for the explosions. What? Well, you're implying that I was responsible for them, Mr. Dollar? Entirely. And you honestly think that you can prove a wild assertion like that? Yes, I honestly think I could. Otherwise, instead of sitting here talking with you, don't you think I'd be out and around investigating further? Yes, I suppose you would. Let's look at some facts. Like the explosion this afternoon that nearly killed me because you knew I was coming here. 
The switch I found under the windowsill. Well? Yes. And your help in combing through the ruins? Help? Or careful misdirection so I wouldn't find the detonator you'd rigged up nor a trace of the wiring from that switch. Of course. Those cutbacks in salaries. You needed money, didn't you, Madaskam? Like all that insurance you collected. Yes, very true. And something you said this afternoon. I and I alone will hold the secret of this fuel. So when you thought that Williams and Thornbury and Brenner had it, to keep it for yourself, you killed them. Is that about it, Mr. Baskin? Just about, I guess. And all because of a young chemist I brought over here. Hans Kellerhaus. Yes. I was supposed to be over there in Germany on vacation. Actually, it was only in order to establish contact with him and hope that I could uh, capitalize on his knowledge of missile fuels. Took a lot of time, a lot of money. Most of it spent in bribes to East German authorities. But I finally got him over here. I see him. He was so glad to be free for the first time in his life, so grateful for an opportunity to work in this country, that he was willing to agree to anything. Which means what, Mr. Baskin? I was to have complete, complete control of anything he might create and develop here. And what happened? Did he find out you were in this thing only for personal gain? Yes. So he came in here one morning and told me that he was leaving. That he would keep his word, however, and relinquish claim to whatever he had developed here. My demand, he put that in writing. So I let him go. Like an idiot. Why do you say that? Well, I thought he'd completed the fuel, that I could go ahead and produce it and sell it and make millions. Millions, Mr. Dollar. And without having to share with him. But I was wrong. He hadn't finished. Mm -hmm. I hired other men, the best that I could find from all over, in the hope that they could carry on from where he'd left off. But all it did was cost me money. Money, money. And the only way I could think of to get enough to keep going was, was by collecting that insurance. By committing murder? Yes, I know. The first one was very difficult for me. But the second one, it meant another $500,000 to carry on with. And the third, because all the time I kept hoping, hoping to get that rocket fuel. Uh, I suppose I should have known. I never would. That my misdeeds would catch up with me. Yes, you should have known. Are you ready to leave, Mr. Baskin? I don't have to, Mr. Dollar. Oh? Here in this open drawer beside my hand is a thirty-eight revolver. Loaded. What are you thinking of, Baskin? For you or for me? Would it make any difference? Would it really solve anything? No. No, I guess it wouldn't. Shall we go? It's almost unbelievable. I mean, the length to which some people will go to promote their own selfish interests at the sacrifice of others. Don't they know that somehow, sometime, there has to be a showdown? Expense account total, including repair charges on the rental car and the trip back to Hartford, $993.70. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a tale of the problems, at least one of the problems, that go with the owning of a gold mine. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Jack Johnstone, produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr., music supervision by Ethel Huber. 
Johnny Dollar is played by Mandel Kramer. Also featured in our cast were Melville Ruick as Bascom, Court Benson as Dr. Welcome, Frank Campanella as George Langley, and William Mason as the gas station attendant. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Art Hanna speaking. Well, a neighbor's tree just fell in our yard and caused a bunch of damage. So this week's episode is about the exciting world of, in- of the insurance industry. When a suspicious claim was submitted, Dollar was sent to the location and solved the problem, usually a murder. Was there a murder in our yard? Possibly. It was a honkin' big tree. Anyway, there was a cast of semi-regulars in Johnny Dollar, including Betty Lewis, who wanted to be his girlfriend, the policeman Randy Singer, Smokey Sullivan, Dollar's tipster, who was Alvin Cartwright, an odd duck who just may have been psychic. Despite these characters, Johnny generally went off to a new location each episode, investigating stolen jewels or protecting a client, figuring out a bank robbery or whatever. Johnny Dollar aired in 1949 and was the last of the dramatic radio programs. It lasted until 1962. In 1955, the show changed, changed format from a 15-minute episode to a half hour. A few different actors took on the role of Dollar. Charles Russell started the show, then it changed to Edmund O'Brien, John Lund, Bob Bailey, Robert Redick, and finally Mandel Kramer. The different actors each brought different takes on the character. Some were more of street fighter, fighters, others were lighter, but they all brought a padded expensive account and signed off with Yours Truly. When the show went off the air, that was the end of the golden age of radio. Expense account, item one. One CD full of Johnny Dollar episodes, only four fifty. Ex- expense account item two, a full set of Johnny Dollar radio episodes, only seventeen fifty. And now kids, it's time for a Comic Web Radio Secret Society code. Three nineteen three fourteen three seven six twenty seven four thirteen. Just enter this code at www.comicweb.com slash secretsociety.htm. Deciphering the code will give you all the benefits of membership in the Comic Web Radio Secret Society. Benefits include more free episodes, fun facts, a certificate of membership, and you get 15% off any order from the Comic Web. Just use the word on checkout where we ask for a coupon code. The code again is 319-314-376274. If you have any comments on how to improve our podcast, please send an email to us or fill out the survey on our website. Our email is editor at comicweb.com, and we would appreciate anyone leaving reviews of the podcast on iTunes or anywhere else. And as promised, we'll follow this with an episode of The Bing Crosby Show. Bing rose to prominence as a solo vocalist in the 1930s, singing with some of the major big bands of the period. He made his radio debut in the early 1930s, and in 1935, he replaced orchestra leader and his former boss, Paul Whitman, as the host of the Kraft, of the Kraft Music Hall. Crosby is, is acknowledged as the first performer in the world to pre-record his radio show. Pre-recording allowed flexibility for rehearsal and editing, which resulted in a tighter show, which appealed to his perfectionist nature. As an outgrowth of pre-recording, he is also credited, for better or worse, with creating the laugh track. At the peak of his popularity, he was voted the most admired man alive. That's head of Jackie Robinson and the Pope. In a poll of U.S. troops at the close of World War II, Crosby was voted the person who did the most for GI morale. That's over President Roosevelt, General Eisenhower, and Bob Hope, which must have torn Hope up. Anyway, thanks and have a good week. In the blue of the night meets the gold 
of the day Someone waits for me Carpenter welcoming you to Philco Radio Time, produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, the Rhythm Airs, and Bing's guest, Claudette Colbert. Hey, Claudette Colbert, what do you know? Ladies and gentlemen, during the coming month of huh? May, many important personages will be celebrating their birthdays. Among others, Happy Birthday will be sung to the Dowager Queen Mary, Irving Berlin, Jim Farley, Elsa Maxwell, Kate Smith, and Bing Crosby. How'd I get in there? Oh, they make me say these things. I oh, you know... know. How'd you know it was my birthday, coming up so soon? Oh, that's easy. Your brother Everett was over this afternoon taking up a collection to buy a bathrobe. <laughs> what size bathrobe? Fifty-four. That's Everett's size, all right. <laughs> I want to thank each and every one of you who kicked in so generously toward a bathrobe for Everett. <laughs> well, just work on some slippers for me or something and an old pipe, hmm? You know, Bing, it'll soon be Al Jolson's birthday, too. Jolie, was he born in May? Yeah, May 32nd. May 32nd. <laughs> That's a day that occurs only once every 500 years. <laughs> well, then, Jolson is about due, yes, and I'm about due to sing. The Rhythm Airs and John Scott are ready. Wish you'll hit everybody with the Thousand Island song from the Broadway show, Angel in the Wings. I'll catch that in about three weeks, too, if we can get ducats. <laughs> Looking, looking, always looking for Florence. Hollering, yelling, calling, screaming for Florence. Facing up, turning south, where's the east, which is west? So confusing, still we know she's the best. I left the one I love on one of those thousand islands. But unfortunately, I can't remember which one. So I row, 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 row up the river St. Lawrence, and I'm hollering, Florence, oh, where can you be? I wouldn't be so lost up here on the Thousand Islands. If we only had met on the Isle of Capri. Now I just can't find a place she marked on the post. Can't call the Navy and Coast Guard. Oh, where can you be? I mustn't take a nap. I gotta watch the map. That was Island 793. Go from shore to shore, knock on every door. How many thousand islands can there be? Sounds like Mercer in here. I better find you soon, cause I see a thousand rowboats. And the fellas inside looks mighty lonesome to me. For when they row, row, row up the river St. Lawrence, they all hollering, Florence, oh, where can you be? 
to take a nap. Gotta watch the map. Staples Island 793. Open Georgia Shore, knocked on every door. How many thousand islands can there be? I better find you soon, cause I see a thousand rowboats. And the fellas inside look mighty lonesome to me. But when they row, 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 row up the river St. Lawrence, they're all hollering, Florence, oh, where can you be? what I'd call a real musical salad with Thousand Island dressing. I'm a Roquefort man myself. I used to go for Russian dressing until Winchell tipped me off. Good. <laughs> Say, Bing, speaking of islands, you remember all those desert island contests the college boys held years ago? Oh, yeah, to choose the movie actress they'd like to be stranded with. That's <laughs> uh, Who'd you used to vote for, Bing? I'm not going to tell you. Date me. <laughs> Secretly, it was Nita yeah. Naldi. Nita Bear, something like that. <laughs> Nita Naldi. How do you vote today? Well, that's easy, Ken. If I had to be cast on a desert aisle today, I'd want my good old Philco portable with me. Well, uh, why not a Philco table model? No tables on desert aisle. Oh, that's right. Then um, how about a big, beautiful Philco console model? Too bulky to swim with. Besides, where could you plug the, in the console? Oh, it's very simple. Just attach it to an electric eel and you're in business. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Tell us more about electric eels, Daddy. Come on. Well, Bing, I'm not too familiar with electric eels, but those Philco engineers do think of everything, and you got the whole works with Philco's new 1286. This great new console really sings to you. Listen to its glorious golden tone at your Philco dealer now. Man, that's quality in a radio phonograph. Glamorous mahogany cabinet to match with loads of record storing space, plus FM, shortwave, and Philco's automatic record changer. And that's a real smoothie, too. Plays up to 12 records at a clip. Slick, quick, and quiet. For luxury listening at a price that won't bust your budget, see, hear, and compare Philco's great 1286. It's a sensational value from the world's largest radio manufacturer, Philco, famous for quality the world over. Here is Friendly Mountains, from a picture out soon entitled Emperor Waltz. Although the locale of this Technicolor Triumph is the Tyrolean Alps, we found some very flashy scenery right up in the Canadian Rockies around Jasper Park. Those familiar with this snow-capped region will see Mount Edith Cavell, the Columbia Icefields, and Crosby in alpine pedal pushers with a feather in his hat. Gee, all that music, too. A big bargain, my friend. Bum-bum. 
bone. If you feel a song, then let the song begin, and you'll find the friendly mountains joining in, joining in, joining in. Loosen up your pipes, and brother, you can bet it's as pretty as a barber shop quartet. Take the lead, and you think you're all alone, but you find you've got a tenor, bass, and baritone. Tenor, bass, baritone. Baritone's a little hammy. You can raise your voice and sing out hip hooray. But it always comes back, holy, 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 holy. Give the birds a break and hustle up a song and let the friendly mountains sing along. Since early morning, we've had our mop and bucket brigade scampering around the studio, getting everything scrubbed and shiny, in anticipation of the arrival of tonight's guests. Not often that we get into such a tizzy, but when Claudette Colbert comes to visit, we feel that we should look our apple pie best. Welcome to recently renovated Philco Radio Time, Claudette. Thank you, Bill. Claudette, don't you think it's pretty nice for us to sort of clean up the studio just for you? Yes, there was, Bing, but I think you should have warned me. Warned you? Well, if I'd known I was coming down here to swing a mop, you know, I'd have worn some old clothes. <laughs> you just got here for the finish. Most of the heavy work was done before you arrived. Well, I know. I got here in time to move the piano all alone. Hmm, yes. Well, you did draw the short straw, you know. Nobody forced you into the drawing. Bing, when you held out those straws, you gave everybody to understand there was a malted milk on the other end. Oh, no, you misunderstood. The malted milk was the prize for the best worker. <laughs> you should have seen this place before you got here, Claudia. Why, that corner over there was all cluttered up with fish and tackle, hip boots, and an old batting cage that used to belong to the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> Well, at least you piled it neatly. Oh, no, not there, Claudette. You're looking at John Scott's father. <laughs> oh, well, he's piled neatly. <laughs> John always looks neat. He's like a well-kept mountain. <laughs> that boy is really shipshape. He certainly has. <laughs> <laughs> we married, huh? <laughs> 
Before we go any further, Claudette, I want to tell you that I saw you in Sleep, My Love. It was a good picture. You were prettier than Don Amici. Oh, well, it's sweet of you to say so, B. I thought you were. I saw you in Rotorio, and you were prettier than Amici, too. I don't know. What a smile he's got with those beautiful, long, white teeth. Oh, Don hasn't got long teeth, B. He's just got short gums. <laughs> well, I... I'll say one thing, Claudette. I think all of us in pictures are pretty lucky to have hit them during the halcyon days. What do you mean? Well, originally, a theater was just a place to go and see a picture. Nowadays, movies are just decoys for candy stores. Mm. <laughs> You're right. I can remember when I was a kid, the only place in the theater to get chewing gum was under the seat. Yeah. All broken in and ready to go, too. <laughs> Nowadays, when you go into a theater, you have to fight your way through an army of people selling everything from popcorn to hamburgers. That's right. If this keeps building, the movie theater tomorrow will look like the Rexel drugstore of today. <laughs> Honestly, if this selling avalanche doesn't stop soon, the time is bound to come when the husband and wife will really be perplexed when they read the movie page. I tell you what, Claudette, you be a wife, I'll be your husband sitting in the parlor after dinner, one evening in the year 1955. Okay, Bing, we're sitting in the parlor. Say, honey, how about going to a theater tonight? Good idea. I haven't been shopping all week. Well, (laughs) (laughs) take a look at the movie page. What's playing at the Hawaii? Let's see. Oh, oh, the Hawaii has a big sale on pineapples. Mm -hmm. Well, do we need pineapple, dear? No, not particularly, but I do need some new nylons. I wonder where stockings are playing. <laughs> oh, you can get stockings at any theater now. What's uh, what's at the Fairfax? Uh, ben Hare Coffee, Ben Hare Swatches, and Benny Fields. <laughs> Benny Fields? That's the new real estate development in the valley. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Say, I picked up uh, uh, something over the grapevine at the office today. They tell me they're going to have a big sneak preview at the Westwood Theater tonight. Come to think of it, honey, I can't go to the Westwood. I've got to go to the Bijou. Why the Bijou? I have a dental appointment there. (laughs) I tell you, let's go to the Gem Theater. According to Luella Parsons' shopping guide, the old Nick candy bars are terrific there. Oh, I wouldn't go to the Gem Theater after that awful disaster they had the other night. What disaster? The root beer barrel burst and drowned eight people. <laughs> well, they should have had a lifeguard there. Gosh, Harry, I, I don't care to get dressed and go out just to go shopping or to eat. I, I wish there was some place we could go and see a movie. That's so loud. Don't say movie like that. Let's tune in the underground radio. Maybe someone somewhere is daring enough to show a picture tonight. Harry, we wouldn't dare to turn in the underground radio. Remember, the Popcorn Trust has spies everywhere. Don't I know it. Those beasts, they caught poor sad Sam Hogan listening in last month. And a firing squad stood him up against a wall. The brutes, they riddled his body with unpopped corn. Well, I don't care. I'm so hungry to see a movie, I'd settle for a Bob Hope picture. All right, let, let's tune in the underground. Maybe there'll be some news of a movie legger. All right. Are the blinds drawn? Yes. Now huddle up close to the speaker. We can't take any chances. 
Let's see, what's the number on the dial? Two left, one right. I always forget. They have to change it every week. You know. Attention all movie lovers. Attention all movie lovers. Boy, the heat must really be on tonight, huh? <laughs> According to a dispatch just received, a M-O-V-I-E will be shown in the Los Angeles area tonight. Will all faithful movie lovers now please consult their code books? Where's the code book, honey? I've got it right here. Ready now? The central point is Fifth and Hill. Fifth and Hill? Let me, let me see. Here it is. La Brea and Wilshire. Now, proceed, Grindelfleck, for nine pranistoles. <laughs> that means go three blocks north and turn to the left. <laughs> got that? Yes, yes. Turn up alley until you reach door on left, marked with secret sign. Knock five times and ask for Max. Did you get that? Ask for Max. That is all. Good luck. I wonder what picture is playing there. The picture playing tonight is Ask for Max. <laughs> oh, they got me. <laughs> oh. Darn it, no movie tonight. Oh, Thank you, Claudette. I certainly hope things never get as bad as we painted them. Now, if you'll stand by, I'd like to have you hear the number one song on the French hit parade. Oh, something from Paris. C'est très charmant. Oh, oui. The title, Claudette, is You're Too Dangerous, Sherry. dangerous, Sherry, too dangerous for me. I know I can't resist you. You're too beautiful, Sherry. What will become of me? Will I regret I kissed you?
heart to glamorous Chevy, so amorous Chevy, so thrilling in my arms. I know it's foolish to love you so much, but I forget to be smart when you touch me. My heart tells me to beware your dangerous hurry, but I don't You know, Claudette, uh, there's some French lyrics here on the song sheet. I've got it right in my hand. I really think Cherie should be done in French. How about singing it for us? No, no, you give me that mop again, but no singing. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, B, I just heard the tune. I couldn't sing. Well, jump in with me. I know the music uh, well, fairly well. <laughs> Not too well. Does it sound like I know it? I'll help you through that if you'll steer me through the French. Okay, boy, this is going to be Le Clambake. Well, Le Clambake, and now let's give it a whirl. A little arpeggio, please. Mm. Let's see. Steady, everybody. Quand je la prends dans mes bras, elle me parle tout bas. Je vois la vie en rose. Des mots d'amour, des, des mots de, de tous les jours, et ça me fait quelque chose. Elle est entrée dans mon cœur, une part de bonheur dont j'ai connu la cause. C'est lui pour moi, moi pour lui dans la vie. Elle me l'a dit, la jurée pour la vie. Et dès que je l'aperçois, alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui bat. Ah. Oh, that was really good, Claudette and Bing. You know, Bing, uh, after all, I'm not one to complain, but it seems like everybody on the program is allowed to sing except me. Ken, old boy, you can sing any time you want to. What would you like to sing about? Well, the baseball season's off to a big start now, so I, uh, well, I kind of thought I'd like to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Good idea. Go ahead. Don't get would hurt. Would you, uh, join me? Well, I might even drown you out. Step by step. Go right ahead. <laughs> Well, 
Loco's portable radio takes Kenneth wherever he wants to go. When I can get out to the baseball park, you can hear me remark. I'll be out to the ball game, though I'm not really there. Maybe I'm home at my wife's request, or maybe I'm giving my whiskers a rest, but I'll still be out to the ball game without getting out of my chair. I don't feel cold, portable said it'll get me there or anywhere. Yes, one, two, three, and you're out at the old ball game with Philco's sensational new plastic portable. Tops for travel listing. Play it anywhere to get you all the big games, all the big shows, and the best bands of the land. It's a three-way portable. Plays on battery, AC, or DC, and a colorful, lightweight cabinet that's an eye-catcher for sure. Your choice of four smart colors, a fashion flash in ivory, tan, maroon, or blue-green. Ask your Philco dealer now for the new 602 Portable. From Philco, the leader. Here's an old tune. It's a show tune, by the way. Enjoying a little comeback. I'm happy to assist even in my insignificant way in its return. I may be wrong, but I think you're wonderful. I may be wrong, but I think you're swell. I like your style. Say, I think you're marvelous. I'm always wrong. So how can I tell All of my shirts are unsightly All of my ties are a crime If dear in you I pick rightly It's the very first time came along And I think you're wonderful I think you're grand But I may be wrong I may be wrong but I think you're wonderful I may be wrong But I think you're swell I like your style I think you're marvelous I'm always wrong So how can I tell All of my shirts are unsightly all of my ties are a crime If dear in you I pick rightly It's the very first time You 
came along And I think you're wonderful I think you're grand But I may be I may be wrong, but I have a hunch that the program is almost over, too. Does that mean we can go now, Bing, or do we have to stick around and sweep the stage? No, no. Gordon McRae and his gang are going to clean up, Claudette. <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for offering to help. You're very sweet. And thanks for coming down. Oh, it was wonderful, Bing. Who's your guest next week? Next week, Claudette, the mighty Barry Fitzgerald pays us a visit. Oh, he's so wonderful. That's what everybody says all the time. <laughs> Uh, bonsoir, Claudette. Bonsoir, ladies and gentlemen. And thank you again for uh, the lot for coming down, Claudette. Where are we? <laughs> You're supposed to say goodbye. I'm supposed to say good night, Dick. Good night, Claudette. <laughs> say hello. Bonsoir. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Los Angeles Police Relief Association. My bridge is bothering <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Los Angeles Police Relief Association. Once again is presenting its annual show at the Shrine Auditorium. The funds derived from this show are expended for recreational facilities for children, sponsoring boy and girl scout activities, and assist the officer and his family in time of distress. The police are always on hand for your benefit. Won't you be on hand to benefit the police? They have a wonderful show. They've had a great show every year, and I think you all should go down there and give yourselves a treat. Good night, folks, and thanks very much. Transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Murdo McKenzie. Tune in to Philco Radio Time next week and hear Bing.